It's time to accelerate. Hey, friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 699. That's 699 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record. How's everyone's week going so far? Well, we've got another excellent episode for you to take things to the next level for you. Joining me today is Daryl Prale. Daryl is the CMO, Chief Marketing Officer of VanillaSoft. And today we're going to talk about how to accelerate your revenue growth by more perfectly aligning the efforts of your sales and marketing teams. Now, Daryl comes to marketing by way of sales, so his opinions on the whole subject may surprise you just a bit. And by the subject, we're talking about sales marketing alignment, which some labeled the keys or hot sales trend of 2019. Now, Daryl's going to share his three rules of sales engagement for sales and marketing leaders. And more than anything, these are about defining expectations, which you know, is a useful thing to do in any relationship. We're also going to dive into one of the topics that's like the third rail of sales these days, which is who should have responsibility for proactive outbound lead gen? In other words, who should SDRs and who should BDRs report to? Should it be sales? Should it be marketing? Well, you definitely want to hear this. And we also talk a little bit about maybe it's just time to blow the whole thing up, you know, knock down the silos, completely redefine the roles and responsibilities in sales and marketing to more perfectly serve our customers. After all, that's what we're here for. So anyway, stick around. We're going to talk about all that and more. Now, before we get to Daryl, I want to take a quick second to talk about the sales house. That is the sales education community for B2B sellers. Now, as sellers, we don't have control over a lot of the things that have an impact on our jobs, whether that's our products, pricing, features, customers, customer success. But what we can control, what we can control is how we conduct ourselves in front of our buyers and how we invest in making ourselves better at how we do that, get better at how we connect and build rapport, get much better at how we engage the interest of buyers, how we build trust and how we deliver value that inspires buyers to want to do business with us. Now, that's the focus of the sales house, to enable sellers with the knowledge, the skills, the confidence, and the acumen to become the very best version of you. So invest just 10 minutes a day, just 10 minutes a day of your time in the sales house. Do that for an entire year. You'll never really worry about hitting quota ever again. So come become the best version of you in the sales house. Visit thesaleshouse.com forward slash join. That is thesaleshouse.com forward slash join. All right, let's jump into it with my guest today, Daryl Prale. Daryl, welcome to the show. Thank you, sir. Good to be here, man. It's great to see you. Happy New Year. We are recording this at the beginning of the year. Happy New Year to you as well. You look like you have your your holiday decorations behind you, as a matter of fact. <laughs> yes. Our studio has the cinematic red curtains, That's which right. some people suggest may present an alternate and it was an alternative revenue stream during the evening recording hours, and we'll leave it at that. But uh, but I like to think it's it's dramatic. It is, it is. I like that as opposed to my not so carefully constructed backdrop here. So, um, but I can see your bicycle in the background there. It looks like a. Are you are you are you a cyclist? Yes, yes, I enjoy it, and yeah, that is. Um, one of them. <laughs> so, oh, oh, have I stumbled across a possible problem you may have? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like I was trying to th- we I think we were talking about this before we start recording the the various problems I have bicycling being one of them uh, we all have our vices yes I have I have mine and you have yours let's just probably not go there finding the ideal backpack travel backpack that's the other one so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah I think I have more backpacks than my wife has purses so um, 
which she's let me know about several times. So. <laughs> Wives are good for that. I've, I have observed that. Yeah, yeah. She keeps me in line. So well, we're going to talk today about um, sort of the evolving roles of sales and marketing relative to generating revenue. And and you and I have spoke about this a little bit in the past, but I really think this is this is a trend. I think there's evolution. It's one of the big trends, I think. It will be one of the big trends in 2019 and beyond in sales is not necessarily establishing the dividing line between sales and marketing, but really just how do they work together uh, more effectively and perhaps in in non-traditional ways as we look going forward, uh, what we consider non-traditional ways, to capture the customer. That's a fantastic idea. Let's have that conversation. Let's, let's do that conversation. Okay. So, I mean, to me, it, it's interesting. I sit in meetings with CMOs of big companies, well, CROs, and and I remember this one uh, CMO I was speaking with, a fairly good-sized company, came right out and said, yeah, if it wasn't for marketing, sales wouldn't close a thing. And, <laughs> and, and I thought, well, okay, that's, that's, that's an interesting, interesting point of view to take. Um, but she was dead serious, you know, that they sold large enterprise accounts and not only considered marketing an integral part of the, the effort, but actually considered it the, the, perhaps the most decisive part of the effort. Uh, so there's this sort of two flows we've got going on of you know sales marketing alignment, how do we work together versus this idea that there's still sort of this turf war out there. So how do we how do we begin to reconcile some of that? Well, a couple of things. Uh, on behalf of uh, my marketing peers, <laughs> let me apologize on behalf of that young lady. When I hear those comments, when I hear marketers say, yeah, if it wasn't for marketing, you guys would do nothing. That tells me that that marketer has never, ever carried a bag or made a cold call. That's what that tells me. Because mm-hmm. they don't understand. That tells me they just don't, they simply do not understand the role of sales. Um, so I can tell you how I tackle it because early on in my career, I also had these disconnects when I was, you know, cause I've, as we've talked about before, I've, I've done both. <clears throat> I've carried, I've carried the bag. <clears throat> I've been a, a, a sales rep. Uh, ultimately I've been a VP of sales twice in two software companies. Um, but my passion is marketing. So that's, you see me today as a CMO. And, uh, so I have a unique insight into, into both sides of, of the coin. Um, but I did struggle with this as a young marketer. I struggled mm-hmm. with this and, and I had a lot, let's just say I had a lot of conflict. I had, uh, heads of sales who would just steamroll me, uh, because they're like, you know, marketing is useless. And I do this all on my own. And, and they were as moronic in, in retrospect, they were as moronic as the young lady you talked about in the marketing mm-hmm. role, e- equally biased and naive, never had done marketing. Um, but I figured it out eventually. It's actually not that hard, but you have to be intentional. So this is what I do. And since I started doing this, and I've done this in numerous jobs, and I've given this advice to many other colleagues, it has made my life so dramatically better. So what I do as a marketing person, and, and it doesn't have to be marketing doing this. Sales can do this too. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the point is, is that you know, the two people responsible for revenue, which is usually your head of sales and your head of marketing, need to sit down and hash out a few things. So this is what I say when I sit down with my colleague. I'll say, let's, let's, can we agree to the rules of engagement, how you and I are about to engage so we understand our roles? It's no different than a military battle, an example, or as a professional sports team, we all have assigned roles 
and the other players on the team have expectations that you're going to do your role. If you do your job and I do my job, then we should achieve the goal. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's just put it out there. And, uh, and so there's a couple of basic things. Uh, rule number one I always say is uh, how, what percentage of, uh, so it's called leads, leads that are created by the organization in the umbrella term, are you expecting to marketing to source versus sales to self-source? It said another way, inbound leads versus outbound. Mm-hmm. All right. And, and that always prompts a great conversation. If he expects 100% coming from marketing or she expects 100% coming from marketing, that's not what I'm expecting. So let's tackle that discussion. And we may need to get more people involved. Could be a CEO, could be somebody else. But let's, let's have that conversation. In my mind, it's kind of like 50-50. I firmly believe, or maybe even 60-40. Um, and I would go 40% marketing, 60% sales. But you know, we can have those conversations. That's the first thing. Next thing is I would say, okay, so we've determined the split. Right. Wait, let's go the next level down. So I'm going to give you these leads, these 50% of the leads. Great. How do you, sales colleague, define a lead? What are you expecting from me? And this is really important because a lot of people are just making assumptions. They just assume a lead that you know that I think of a lead as having X characteristics mm-hmm. and, and therefore you must as well. And, uh, and that, that, so that always prompts a great conversation and it really has varied. Like, you know, I'll give you an example here at vanilla soft. Um, when I had this conversation, you know, my counterpart, Scott Amerson simply said, if you give me a lead that they filled out a form and for a piece of content, um, you know, and the content is relevant to what we do, right. Mm-hmm. That's a lead that's I'm done. Give it to me. That's a marketing qualified lead. For other organizations, they say, no, no, I want, I want to score them. I want to grade right. them. I want to make right. sure they've been there a dozen times and they've done multiple touches. And only then do I want to take them. That's fine. Just, just, just figure it freaking out. You know? So the classic case is, do you need to know just name and title and email? Or do you need to know the industry? Do you need to know the company size, revenue size, number of employees, you know, certain pain points? And understand that the more criteria you need for that lead, the smaller volume I'm going to give you because a lot of people are going to bounce on those forms. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the first. So what do we agree in the split and how do you define a lead? So that's kind of me as the marketer passing it off to the sales colleague to say, this is what you expect of me. Now let me turn the tables on you. This is what I expect of you which is when I give you a lead, I expect you will call them or contact them within X minutes, hours, days. And that always sparks an interesting conversation. Mm-hmm. And then I expect you will physically um, make X number of touches over a time duration, which always, which is, you know, said another way, it's a cadence or a playbook or a sure. sequence. Sure. And then uh, the last thing I would say is I expect you to call every single lead I give you and not just arbitrarily say, ah, I call 20%. I'm assuming the other 80% suck. Right. Um, so those are the rules of engagement. And when we have those rules of engagement, you know, we document it and make sure all the stakeholders, including the executive management team, know that. So that whenever there's any kind of discourse at that weekly executive, you know, review mm-hmm. of the KPIs and the progress, 
we can fall back on that. And also because we can hold each other accountable in private, which every meeting, you know, the meeting before the meeting, before mm-hmm. we have the executive mm-hmm. meeting, we're having our own meeting to say, are we, are we in alignment here? Um, there should be no surprises. And then that drives the dashboards that we both respectively make. When we do that, we have those, again, to recap, you know, kind of like, you know, what's the split on leads? How do you define a lead? When will you call a lead? How many call attempts will you make on a lead? And you will call all of my leads. When we do that, that goes 90% of the way to eliminating any of that misalignment. If you don't do that, then of course you're going to have misalignment because it's just like, you know, a husband and wife, you know, at Mars and Venus, you know, it's, it's, it's sometimes you're, you think you're talking about the same thing, but you're drastically not. It's mm-hmm. not, not with malice. It's not with ill intent. It's just, you're talking about different things. So that's been the secret to my success. My life has gotten so much better since I've done that. And I see so many people still not doing that. So let's, let's go back to a few of those items and, and look at them in more detail. So, so when you're establishing the split in terms of, of what percentage is realistic for marketing to develop versus, so inbound versus outbound. Yep. Um, you know, what do you base that on? Is that based on historical data, what you've done typically? Um, you know, what are the factors that go into it? Because I know that, yeah, there are certain elements in sales that say, look, the only good lead is lead sales develops, uh, as you know, you've sure experienced mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Which you know obviously is foolish. Um, so, so what's that conversation typically look like? Or maybe you can give people advice on what it, how that conversation should go in terms of how you establish that split. Well, that's a bit of a of a black art, so to speak, right? Because candidly, you can look at there are metrics, right? You can go look at organizations with like the Big Gartner or Serious Decisions, which is now part of Forrester and others who have benchmarks and these kind of things. And you can go to other, you know sales organizations like the AISP, et cetera, and they all have stats on this. Um, to me, that's a starting point. The, num- the numbers are, f- are fluid. If we look at the case up here at VanillaSoft, uh, historically, the vast majority of our leads, the vast majority of our leads were inbound generated. And as the company has grown aggressively, we've vast, tried to- vast move- majority meaning of the deals that closed- Yep. The vast majority originated as inbound leads. Correct. So you're saying like three quarters, 90%? Yeah. This 80% plus. Okay. All right. Uh, And that's only because the sales team composition um, was maturing. Let's go with that. It was maturing, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, It was a byproduct of a little bit of legacy, byproduct of a different time. Um, It was also a byproduct of the company growing, um, let's, let's say the company growing, I don't want to say cautiously, conservatively, conservatively, sure. right? So VanillaSoft hasn't raised millions of dollars. We've been self-funded. We're right. highly profitable and we've got a great install base. But when you're self-funded, bringing on a sales uh, individual who might make six figures or more is a big investment. Whereas sure. you're bringing somebody who makes maybe a, a third or 40% of that salary uh, and they're basically just an order taker. Mm-hmm. you can scale a lot more. So, and then therefore the company's profitable. So that's cause and effect. So now, of course, we've moved aggressively to grow in the last year or so. And, and, and the team uh, make up, the sales team make up roles, responsibilities, SDRs, AEs, everything else dramatically changed along with the associated costs and headcount. Um, but 
Now there's an expectation on both sides. In other words, if I'm going to pay somebody six figures a year, I expect you to be a kick-ass hunter. And I, if, it's, if you're just going to be, take the leads I give you and, and just close them, you're not adding any value. You're not worth six figures a year. So, you know, suddenly does that mean is it plus 80% coming from marketing or is it now more 50-50? So how I positioned it here in our conversation was I suspect initially, I'm sorry, I suspect ultimately we're going to get to a 40-60 split, 40 being marketing, 60% being sales, maybe even 70-30 is once the team really ramps up. Uh, however, in the meantime, let's shoot for 50-50 and let's just you know spend the next year and see how that goes. So there, there is no, there's no arbitrary, I am going to rephrase that. It's somewhat arbitrary in how we've approached mm-hmm. this, but we have set what I believe to be, and I think the consensus is in the team, reasonable milestones to say, yes, we should be getting to 50-50 because if our outbound sales team is not contributing 50% of the revenue, then we've got some fundamental organizational flaws or training flaws or execution flaws on the outbound side. So by making that split and making it reasonable, but somewhat you know, a, a goal, mm-hmm. we, are, we are forcing the sales team to execute. We're giving them something to shoot for and we're going to hold them accountable. Now, if he comes back to me and says, you know, hey, Daryl, it's been a year and it wasn't 50-50. In fact, it was 70-30 and it's still 70% marketing as opposed to 80 plus percent. Okay, well, we're headed in the right direction. Let's just sit down as a team and figure that out because we do want to get to 50-50. So to me, it's just a line in the sand that we draw somewhat arbitrarily, but with some intelligence. And then we all agree to work on getting that. I'm not going to hold my sales colleague ransom if he doesn't hit that number. But I do expect him to be accountable to that number and to work with me to help him hit that number. So that's the only way you can work as a team is if Mm -hmm. you're all rowing in the same direction, for lack of a better analogy. Okay. So... When we talk about sort of the relative roles of we talked, you started referring to that specialization is is so, you know, one of the trends we're seeing increasingly is that really heading to that hundred percent, let's say, um, marketing generated leads because we're starting to see more and more of the proactive outbound prospecting of the SDRs being under the control of marketing. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's funny. Um, so there's a couple of things going on there, Andy, which are kind of interesting. A couple of things we're seeing change. We've noticed, is, I mean, it's going on for a while, but we, to me, this really jumped off the page to me kind of the last half of, uh, of last year, which is two things. I'm seeing, uh, I'm seeing SDRs do more and more marketing activities as opposed to, it's called historical norms. That's the first thing. And the other part I'm seeing is I'm seeing more uh, because marketing owns the stack in mm-hmm. most cases mm-hmm. um, and marketing is already creating marketing qualified leads. Sales is kind of saying, you know, just give us real leads. In other words, we maybe even won't have a hundred reps. Maybe we'll have 50 reps, but you're going to give us like kick ass leads. Therefore, you know, let marketing own the entire qualification process. So what does that mean? Let's explain it, break it down real simple. In any kind of organization, right, you kind of have marketing, then you'll have sales development reps, and then you'll have account execs. Now I'm generic, I'm talking sure. generic. Generically, right. All right. And marketing will create a marketing qualified qualified lead, meaning, you know, they hit the high level stuff, right? I know name, title, industry. Yeah, 
they're in there. They pass it off to the SDRs, which is normally historically in the sales organization. SDRs take that MQL and now they sales qualify. And that's where they might use a tool like a sales engagement tool, like a vanilla soft or other products out there. And they're going to call right away and let me get that MQL. And they're going to make you know a dozen call attempts. They're going to mix it up between email and phone. Mm-hmm. And, and, they're, and, then they're, and, there's, and they're trying to get the person on the phone or any kind of conversation so they can do the classic qualification. I'll use the example of BANT, you know, budget authority need time. It could be any, you know, methodology you want. I'm not advocating. But first, first pass qualification, nothing detailed. First pass qualification. First pass exactly. qualification, right. So now we know that they're sales qualified, right? Which means there's a real opportunity here. They have budget, they have authority, they have a need, and there's even a timeline. Okay, great. First pass. Now I'm going to pass it off to the account executive who's going to take that, create an opportunity, typically maybe in their CRM, Mm -hmm. and they're going to chase that to a win or a loss. But now that opportunity is part of this, it's part of the the sales funnel. It's part, it's now forecasted. It's the whole sales process. So really those first two of those first three steps, the MQL and the SQL are all around qualification. It's all around qualification. And we're handing that off sales. So why don't we keep that entire qualification stage together? It makes no sense to split it up because we're just, we're just doing more quality. I mean, what happens if, if the SDR gets them on the phone and says, oh, you, you, have, you have a need, but you, you don't have you know, a timeline. Okay. So you're not ready. They're just going to throw it back into the marketing queue to keep on nurturing. So mm-hmm. again, why are we going back and forth across this wall? Let's just keep that whole the whole mechanism, the qualification, marketing qualified, sales qualified together. And that's what, so we're, and we're starting to see that. We're starting to see that where that now just becomes the domain of sales. Um, I'm of, sorry, of marketing. marketing. Right. And marketing's job is to generate and qualified leads and pass those qualified leads off to sales where the account executive makes it an opportunity immediately and chases it. Um, and so, I think, and I think it's really important to, for people really to understand here, because I think this confuses a lot of people is, is in, in a bad way and it confuses salespeople. So when we talk about marketing qualified, sales qualified, handing off a quote unquote qualified lead to an account exec, that's not a qualified buyer. It is a qualified potential prospect exactly. and people just need to understand there's still more qualification that needs to be done. It's just qualified sufficiently to say it's worth sales attention and account exec's attention. That's right. And, and that's literally where the sales professional gets involved and earns their money. Unlike that, that, that yeah. CMO you mentioned, right? Now we're actually, now we're selling. And do you have a need? And they're probing and they're listening. And, and maybe you're not the right individual in the end, even though you came through the marketing you know, you know, process to us. Maybe it's your colleague, it's your peer. But that's where a salesperson really earns their keep and, and, and applies their skill and their expertise. You are nowhere near the negotiating stage, the proposal stage, when I get that lead. Right? Well, you're you're at the beginning of qualification, as far as discovering qualifications, I call it. You got it. So, yeah. I, so as, as we look at that as a trend, I mean, to me, this this makes a tremendous amount of sense. I mean, I I maybe I'm unusual in this regard in terms of of sales, but as somebody who spent you know, has spent decades in sales and you know spent the first few years of my career doing heavy, heavy, heavy in in person prospecting and so on, it. Yeah, it became clear to me pretty quickly. I was like, this really is marketing, right? I'm creating awareness. I'm creating awareness with with these prospects. They for the most part weren't aware of who the company was that I was selling or the products that we had. And and as I sort of sat back and and analyzed, it's like, well, you know, theoretically, in an ideal world, this would be done through marketing. 
I mean, it was yeah. it was clear even like I said decades ago that, that we had this disconnect that you know sales was spending a disproportionate amount of their time basically creating awareness through prospecting. Yeah, and for me, it makes it makes tremendous amount of sense to to look at having that under the control of marketing, as you said. And in fact, this is the part where it kind of even makes more sense now. I made reference to the fact we're seeing SDRs do more and more marketing. So let's explore that. Mm-hmm. So why why are we seeing that? Well, we're seeing that because they're using tools like VanillaSoft or other products out there on the sales engagement side, which fundamentally automate a lot of the routine stuff. So in other words, if there's a sales email drip campaign as part of your nurture, all right, um, that just happens automatically. It goes like you, the, the SDR isn't even doing it. It just the system just does it for you. Mm-hmm. You know, so all of a sudden this the, the SDR, the sales development rep, is is now focused on other aspects. In other words, they're focused on listen, I need to build my LinkedIn profile a lot more, be part of the discussion, be part of the visibility so that I can use that as an excuse to connect with these prospects mm-hmm. during the cadence. And part of that might be sharing content. Maybe I'm going to write some content. Part of that's having to take. Part of that's me appearing on other podcasts or the webinars. But I'm a sales development rep. This is me building my own personal brand so that when I reach out and try to connect with a marketing qualified lead, that it's credible. So mm-hmm. they're building their own personal brand. Uh, the other part is is they're crafting their own messages now. So maybe they're doing a LinkedIn connection request, for example, right? And they're trying to craft the right subject line and the right email body to connect and make sure it's working. Suddenly, these guys are focused on what tips and tricks do I need to do in the subject line? You know, how do I connect with them right away? You know, what's my call to action? All of this is marketing, marketing, marketing. And it, I laugh because... Uh, I, you know, now this never used to happen to me. In the last six months, I've noticed this is part and parcel why I started to clue into this change. Is I would send an email broadcast, uh, and when the irony is, of course, because you know we actually sell to sales and marketing organization because it's a sales engagement tool. Right. So the beauty of that is that I'm talking to other salespeople, and they would receive my emails, and I would get responses back from these people. I'm not making this up. It's actually it's not for the faint of heart. Being a marketer these days is not for the faint of heart because. In this, uh, in this day, let's call it, of, uh, of fake news and alternate facts, people are getting pretty unfiltered. And I get responses back saying, this subject line sucks. You know, who the hell wrote this email? You took too long to get to your point. Oh, my goodness. And then they would, every single time, this is the part I love as a marketer, they would say, you know, I have an 80% open right mm-hmm. in my sales engagement platform. And if you want my help to make better subject lines and emails, I'm here to help you. And I'm like, when? When did all of a sudden salespeople start trying to coach me on how to make better marketing content and marketing campaigns? And that's when I knew it had changed. And that's one more reason, in my opinion, because the SERs are doing so much more marketing now. They're branding, content. You know, how do I hook them? What's my call to action? Um, you know, they're looking at their stats. What's well, that's the thing is they have the data to be able to show They have them. the data. Right. Um, and, they're, and, they're, and they're competing with their peers. These are all marketing activities. Put them in the marketing team when they can learn from each other. So that's, to me, that's the right trend. Uh, we're actually speaking on this at a show coming up in London. We're going we're gonna to pilot a, a session. We're doing a debate on uh, who owns the team. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, we're going to have a sale. We're going to have myself, and we're going to have my sales counterpart, Scott Amerson, on stage. 
and we're going to have it moderated by a, a very vocal British-based influencer. Uh, and I'm expecting that to be, that's going to be in the main stage. So we're looking forward to it. We, I think it's going to have a lot of fun, a lot of laughter in the audience. People are going to relate to it. But we're doing it because it's relevant. This is what people are struggling with now. And it's funny, right? Because salespeople identify with being sales. They're proud of being in sales. So you start to put them in, in marketing and they go, whoa, marketing is evil. But uh, so I'm not sure culturally we're all there yet. But I think from a process point of view, it's it's the right way to go. Yeah, well, I really wonder whether whether SDRs, in many instances, really consider themselves to be in sales anyway. <laughs> and given that, given that for a lot of companies, they really haven't formulated a career track for their SDRs that that logically lead into sales. I mean, I mean oftentimes, you know, on the show, I talk to you know people such as yourself, uh, senior executives. And a lot of the paths they have carved out for their SDRs go into customer success. Yes. You know, not necessarily as to an AE and so on. So it's it's not as if I think you actually the expectation is across the board that you're hiring people that you're trying to groom to go into a sales function. But that doesn't mean even if the SDRs report to marketing that you can't be grooming them, grooming them for a sales function. And that's you make such a brilliant point. And for all you SDRs out there listening to this, it, you know, take point of what Andy's saying because you don't know what your career is, right? Uh, SDR is a phenomenal, phenomenal training ground because you get exposed to the, you, you know, like we just discussed, you get exposed to a little bit of marketing, a little bit of sales. You start to understand the customer. You start to understand how to qualify. You start to feel the pain of your of your target audience. And you may determine that, yes, you want to become an account executive someday or you want to become a marketer or you want to become a customer success person. Hell, you may want to become a support person. Who knows? But it is a fantastic role to, to get your feet wet and get into the game. It, I love the role. And people don't give that enough credit that you are fortunate enough to get exposed to everything in that capacity. Well, and I think part of that is due to the fact that too many sales leaders look at, look at SDRs as disposable commodities <clears throat> that are going to last 12 to 14 months and they're going to bring in people to replace them. And it's unfortunate as, as I find too few companies, not mean there aren't any, but I find too few that really have the structured idea about, you know, we're hiring high potential people that we think have a role undetermined, but it could be in sales, as you say, customer success could be in marketing. And this is just a way we're bringing these, these smart, talented people into our company and this is sort of the way they they make a decision about where they want to go. Instead of, as many companies do, is this is cannon fodder. We're going to bring in, we're going to onboard them as quickly as you can, get up to speed. And if they burn out after 12 months, oh, well, we'll replace them, which I think is incredibly short-sighted. I was at an event a few months back, and the head of sales for IBM, uh, his name slips my mind right now, I apologize. He made an interesting comment. He goes, you know, listen, um, 10 years ago, these people were called inside sales because, you know, they were inside. Mm -hmm. um, and then he goes around 2012 or so, they started transitioning to digital sales because they were doing social and everything else. He goes, today, they're just called sales because that's how it's changed. But you're right. There is a lot of individuals out there in sales leadership roles that still have that legacy perspective and bias. And if you're in a situation, you know, again, talking to the SDRs who are listening to this, where that's where you're at, that's not, that doesn't have to be your norm. All right. So if, if, if you feel like you're in a dead end opportunity and your, your boss isn't, isn't grooming you 
for bigger and better things and you're just a disposable commodity, that doesn't have to be your norm. And there are so many opportunities out there where you can take your skills and be valued and appreciated. Yeah, I think for SDRs getting into the role, it's important for them to sort of have a different mindset coming into it because it, it is a tough job, right? I mean, you've, you've got these you know, call metrics and contact metrics and everything else that you have to, on a daily basis, that you have. but it's it's not too difficult. I had the same thing when I started my career. It's just mine. Really? Mine happened to be I had to go out and make you know, 40 calls a day in person. Uh, I was but, the same way. I, I was selling photocopiers door to door, and you had to hit, I don't know, 40 or 50 every single day in person, right? Yeah. So you're in the vehicle. I got the car loaded up with a variety of copiers from the big ass things to the little ass things. And, and, and you're hauling these things out every day and you're trying to sell on the fly. Don't, that was, don't, don't forget our flip chart portfolios. Yes. Um, the flip chart portfolios. Yes. I love it. <laughs> Nothing teaches you sales skills, like walking up to some greasy mechanic in some strip mall saying, Hey dude, do you want to buy this photocopier? So well, uh, absolutely. Well, I, I tell people is my first sale ever was professional in my professional career because I started off selling women's shoes and JC Penney. But um, in my professional career, I was working for a big computer company, but our entry level people, we sold these antiquated desktop adding machines. Yep. And uh, they're about three times the price of what someone could buy a local office supply store. But my first sale was to a, a guy at a welding shop. <laughs> and exactly it, walking into the welding shop was it was the walls were covered with soot it was dark black the only thing i could see was the guy's eyes when he you know was looking at me basically because yep. he looked like you know sort of the pictures you saw of coal miners back in the old days and just covered head to toe and i have no idea why i bought the, <laughs> bought the calculator but uh would never if i hadn't been out it's sort of like end of a friday and i said i'll just make you know five more calls because i hadn't had any luck that day and got one yeah, and that's that is sales and you know i you know this is how I would position this. If you're early in your career, you need to have the right mindset. You need to think of this as, for lack of a better word, and an, an apprenticeship. You're going to have is. some... It is. It totally is. But people don't always think of it that way, right? They think of it as a job, nine to five, whatever, I'm not valued. No. You're, even when you don't think you're valued or even when you're having a bad day, you're learning something, all right? And, and, and you're valuing it and that will pay so many dividends. Like, you know, and here you and I are talking about those, those tough early days we had where we, we realize, oh, if I make that just that one more call and then, you know, and I bought it and, you know, and I'm in the guy's world where there's soot. You know, now you, that taught you perseverance, persistency, that taught you empathy, that taught you so much, all right? approachability, relationship mm -hmm. skills, but you had to go through that process to develop those skills. Yeah, well, I think one of the great things that, that with all the tools that are available today, with the, we talked about the data that SDRs get on you know, open rates and everything that, that comes through the platforms they use, as well as you know, tools like conversational intelligence tools, recording calls. It really has, to me, it, it does two things. One, it sort of accentuates this idea of, of sales as an apprenticeship because you're getting feedback you know, you're suddenly not solely relying on your manager to be sort of your, your mentor. Is Yes, they have to have an important role to do that too, but you also get this independent source of, of feedback about the effectiveness of what you're doing. So to me, it almost like accelerates the apprenticeship. Could you imagine going back in time for you and I and, you know, being in your car before you make that next call 
and there's you get five more you want to do, and all of a sudden artificial intelligence is telling you, no, Andy, you need to go to the welding shop before you go to the mechanic. Right. And while you're while you're in there, we're going to record the entire conversation so that afterwards you can audit yourself and say you needed to listen more, drop some of the ums and ahs. And this is where when you made this benefit statement, that's when they really reacted well. Mm-hmm. So now, you know, when you go to do those other four calls, you, 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 you've got all this knowledge and information. You're like, I'm a rock star. I mean, what an opportunity today versus, um, you know, years ago. So yeah. well, I, said, I, don't, I don't think it makes it easier, but I think it, it gives you information to help you mature more quickly, which is, is really the, the key thing. You know, it's still tough talking to another person about buying something. That's always a fraught conversation, but but you come armed with more data, which you know hopefully that steers you in the right direction more more frequently, perhaps than we might have done hit or miss in the past. So totally agree, totally agree. It's a good time to be in sales. Well, it's also it is. a good time to be in marketing, by the way. Just like well, know. I think that's that's implicit in what we were talking about here today. <laughs> is that it totally is because they're they're totally blurring now. Right? That's that that line that overlap has never been more confusing when does marketing stop and when does sales begin you know i i had a debate with uh, with dan disney who's a big social selling guy mm-hmm. out, of, out of the uk uh last year and you know he's like social selling social selling social selling because it's from the point of view of a sales rep and i'm like you're, you're not selling jack crap you're doing social marketing you're brand building your brand you're creating content you're reaching out you create an expression of interest no sale, no sales, no selling has taken place. Uh, and that is, in, you know, indicative of, of that blurring line now that it does. Yeah, it's work. almost like we need a new, new terminology. I mean, it's yeah. almost like we need to uh, blow up sales and marketing and sort of reconstitute things <laughs> in a different way. Because, yeah, you look at large enterprise sales with account-based marketing these days, a much more of an integrated team approach to servicing account all the way through the sales process with sales and marketing actively involved throughout the whole way, is a lot of the conventional definition of the roles just doesn't apply. Agreed. And I think it's also what we're seeing now, the emergence in the last couple of years of the role of a chief growth officer, right? Which is often owning both sales and marketing. And and we can have a discussion on the pros and cons of that approach because uh, I have opinions. But that said, that is an acknowledgement that both teams are necessary to generate the revenue that the company seeks. Yeah. And, and the way that we currently constitute us, it just maybe doesn't make sense, right? Instead of... Right. Thing. Well, you're a marketing person, then you certainly say, well, gosh, I have to report to marketing. It's like, no. I mean, I, exactly. I, I know a company that's you know, a multi-billion dollar company that has no sales function. In fact, I don't think they have a marketing function either. So they have no VP of sales, for sure, I know. I don't know if they have VP of marketing. Uh, but, you know, they're rapidly growing. I think they did close to $2 billion in revenue last year. But, yeah, everything's team-based. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. You're all in it together for the same common shared objective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I think sometimes with the way we set things up, we sort of create these artificial barriers just because that's been the tradition. And I think you that's got a big amen from me in that one. That, that is, <laughs> you nailed it there. You nailed it there. We're all on the same team. That is huge. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, that I would hope one of the trends we'll see, and I see some companies doing it, like the one I mentioned, but, but, Others starting to sort of tiptoe in this direction, which is that we really have to have a more radical rethink of how we structure customer acquisition, how we compensate customer acquisition, how we measure 
the effectiveness and productivity of our customer acquisition because in, a sense, in essence, in most cases, in vast, you know, 99% plus of the cases, we're doing it the same way we've been doing it for 100 years. Yep. And which is nuts, right? Because look, <laughs> I don't tell anybody how much things have changed, how much they continue to change. But what we're seeing is, and you see the same reports that I do, is, is you know, CSO Insights and others, Forrester, but saying sales performance is, is dropping, right? Mm-hmm. Year over year, productivity, uh, win rates, and so on, percent of reps closing or obtaining quota. Like, well, it doesn't need to be that way. So mm-hmm. if that's the case, given this wealth of uh, technologies we have, like VanillaSoft and others, you know, why aren't we doing better, not, not worse? Yeah. And I think a lot of it is not everybody is quick to change, right? So even though you've got all these tools available to us and we hear about it because it's sexy, whether it be sales engagement or, or, you know, conversational analytics or, you know, whatever it might be. um, Don't let the hype fool you and the noise fool you. Even though it's, it's a, there's a lot of noise out there, a lot of discussion about it. That doesn't mean that there's a lot of people using it still, right? People are sometimes slow to change. Yeah, well, I think the other thing, though, too, is that people are using the technologies, and this is, and we'll wrap up with this because we're running a little bit over, but is that I think the problem is what we've seen with with this amazing, you know, sort of influx of these incredible tools and technologies into the sales space and the marketing space as well is that for the most part, companies are using them to sort of automate existing processes as opposed to say, <laughs> yes, you're right. right. Yes, we're how automating do, our current bad habits as opposed to reimagining and reinventing. Exactly. Right. How do we reinvent? And I think this is this is really the key to digital transformation in general is, is that people think they're digitally transforming just by bringing in these tools where that's not – that's just, uh, you know, putting – wrapping up in a bow as opposed to saying, yeah, we're really – we're going to rethink everything about what we do and how we can use these technologies to really help us serve our customers better. And if we do that, we're going to win more deals. To me, though, I think it's also, we are seeing, I think we are seeing a change now. You know, I think the millennials have brought a lot of fresh ideas and they've brought, uh, uh, they've dumped some of the baggage because they don't want to be like the previous generation, which mm-hmm. I understand. And and I think that's societal as well. You know, I look at U.S., you know, Congress right now and I see <laughs> a dramatic shift, shall we say, in the recent midterms with, with the the diversity yes. and 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 the policies that this next wave are bringing in, which is completely contrarian to historical norms. And uh, so, I, you know, I think that's just a snapshot of society. And I think sales and marketing is in that same boat. So as much as it hasn't changed for a long time, I think uh, we're in a really unique time where the technology and the fresh ideas are coming together. And it's an exciting time to be in this profession. Yeah, I agree, 100%. So, well, Daryl, thank you very much. Uh, tell people how they can find out more about VanillaSoft and connect with you. No problem. So, VanillaSoft, uh, the world's uh, most established sales engagement platform. Check us out at VanillaSoft.com, just like it sounds. Um, as for me, you can find me, Daryl Prail, on Twitter as Opinionated, spelled the kind of funky way. Maybe just Google it. Um, <laughs> as well as on LinkedIn. And uh, I'm uh, prolific in both, uh, often to the detriment of my getting stuff done during the day. So uh, <laughs> please reach out to me, Kenneth. I'd love to do that. Uh, that's where the, all the, the, the real fun happens. So check me out there. All right. Well, Daryl, thank you very much. And we'll look forward to doing this again. Take care, sir. Okay, friends, that was Accelerate for the week. First of all, as always, I want to thank you for joining me. And I want to thank my guest, Daryl Prale. 
Now join me again next week because that's kind of a milestone. It's episode number 700. Hard to believe, 700 episodes. Joining me to celebrate the occasion will be Tiffany Bova. Tiffany is a growth and innovation evangelist at Salesforce and author of a very interesting new book titled Growth IQ. Get smarter about the choices that will make or break your business. So be sure to join us then. Before you go, don't forget to check out the Sales House, the all-in-one sales education community just for B2B sellers just like you. Visit thesaleshouse.com forward slash join. Thanks again for joining me here. Until next week, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.